Hey everyone, welcome back to Adherent Apologetics. I am so pumped that you are joining us today. So I have Dr. Terry Mortensen. Um, he's an international speaker. He's the author of The Great Turning Point. He works at Answers in Genesis. He was an MDiv and a PhD in the history of geology. And today we're going to be talking about naturalism, historical origins and whatnot. So Terry, thank you so much for joining me. How are you today? Hey, great to be with you, Zach. It's great to be with you as well. Um, so today what we're going to do is uh, I had you on a little bit ago to talk about like um, creation and like young earth creationism and whatnot. Um, and today we want to talk a little bit more about like naturalism and like uh, where this idea comes from and whatnot, because I know you've done a lot of research in that. So Terry, do you want to get started by just talking a little bit about like a little bit about who you are and like kind of like what got you interested in thinking about like the origins of naturalism? Okay, well, um I grew up in a church-going family, but I didn't come to faith in Christ until uh, the end of my first year at the university. And uh, one of the first questions I had was about evolution and uh, the age of the earth and stuff. And so I started uh, reading and I got, got a hold of some books that really helped me. And then I was on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ for 26 years, uh, most of that uh, working in Eastern Europe, uh, both before and after the fall of communism. and so I did a lot of personal study, but then uh, along the way, I got a seminary degree and really delved into the biblical and theological side of this origins question, and then went on and got my PhD in England in the history of geology, looking at where this, the idea of millions of years came from. So uh, I've been really very passionately studying this issue for uh, since... 1972 about. So today, Terry, when we talk about naturalism, um, cause we're going to bring that up a lot just to start off. Like, how would you like define naturalism when we're talking about naturalism here? What are you referring to? Uh, naturalism is a worldview that I, I would summarize with two points. Uh, it's the, the view that nature or matter is all that exists. And secondly, that, that everything in the world can be explained by time plus chance plus the laws of nature working on matter. So <clears throat> if you have enough time, you've got chance, you've got the laws of nature, the laws of physics and chemistry, the laws of genetics, you can explain uh, the origin of the universe, the origin of the earth, the origin of rock layers and fossils, the origin of man, the origin of language and culture. Um, it's, it's another name for it is materialism or atheism. Um, but it's a, it's a way of looking at the world that uh, claims to be a, a scientific way, but it's really a, a philosophical worldview. So this is helpful. Um, and there's a little bit of a connection issue there. So I don't know if it's going to be for people listening or if it's on my end or your end. Um, but when we're thinking like about naturalism, from what I understand, we're thinking about a view of the world. When you define naturalism, um, we're looking at like there's a material world. Like we have like matter and that's probably fundamental. Um, and then out of this working of matter, we have chance, we have time and everything that comes about like you and me. Um, everything that goes on is just like an outworking of this like chance and time and whatnot. Is that correct, Terry? Yes. So it's, it's a, okay. so a view of the world. That, where, oh, go ahead. It's a, it's a view of the world that denies a spiritual realm, uh, denies God. Um, not everybody that thinks this way would openly say they're an atheist, but it is an atheistic worldview. Okay, so that's helpful then. So we've defined um, naturalism. What's the origin story of this view, Terry? Like, where does this idea come from um, that everything's material and that it comes about over and everything that exists comes about over like chance and time? Well, it really came out of the Enlightenment, which was a reaction to uh, <clears throat> the, the church. It, it developed in Europe. Uh, it was a reaction against the church and its influence in the culture and society. And I think the Enlightenment uh, was really a, 
counterattack of Satan uh, against the Protestant Reformation, the, the discovery, rediscovery of the truth and authority of the scriptures. And so it was uh, in the late uh, 17th century and early 18th century, a number of different writers who were deists initially were deists. So they, they believed in God, but God was distant. He was in the past. Uh, he was not involved in the world. The Bible was not God's word. Miracles are not possible. Um, and then out of that, it's a very short slide from deism to atheism. And so you had both of those kinds of thinking uh, coming uh, into dominance through the Enlightenment. And that paved the way for uh, really the, the development uh, of the old earth idea, uh, which developed in the late 18th and early 19th century. So then, Terry, when we're thinking about like uh, like the origin story of naturalism, is it the idea then that like before the Enlightenment, like predominantly, like you wouldn't find like many people um, who would say that like we live in like a material world and everything comes about these material processes, or was there like nobody who like had this view before like the Enlightenment? Like, does that make well, sense? there were there were there were ancient uh, Greek philosophers and others who had similar ideas. It wasn't a new idea, but of course, uh, even non-Christian historians will uh, agree that modern science was born in Europe because of the influence of Christianity. It was a biblical worldview that was the foundation of the development of modern science. Uh, if the world is, is random, if the universe is just random, if it's just an accident, a long series of accidents, there's no basis for thinking that the the what I study in in uh, in the world today will be functioning the same way tomorrow. It was the biblical worldview that God created the world and He upholds the world, and uh, He's a a lawful God. He's a a God who put law into the creation that therefore gives you a basis for repeatable experiments where, you know, if you boil water today, it's going to behave the same way tomorrow when you boil it. And that is the whole foundation of modern scientific research. Although today science is controlled by an atheist worldview, a naturalistic worldview, that worldview could never have produced um, what we call modern science. Okay, so this is helpful, Terry. Um, who are the people, like, when we think about, like, the origin story of naturalism and whatnot, where we're talking about this idea, specifically about the idea of there being, like, uh, a material world and everything coming about through this material process, uh, where is this idea, like, coming from? Like, when you look at the Enlightenment, like, is there specific, like, people that are, like, kind of the first major, like, proponents of this view? Um, where is this view coming from? Um, well... Uh, one one person was uh, Comte de Buffon, who was a French uh, scientist uh, of sorts, uh, broad broad understanding of things. Um, <clears throat> there were there were a number of people. John Locke was kind of fitting in with some of these ideas. Uh, there were a number of different deist thinkers who were uh, thinking this way. And then as we get Closer to the 19th century, uh, people like um, James Hutton in Scotland, uh, and so there were there were a number of people that were beginning to think like this. What were they like thinking? Like when they're arguing for, like for this like naturalistic like view of reality, uh, what were they pointing towards? Like at the beginning um, to kind of argue for this. Well, they they were denying miracles. They were they were insisting that, you know, we have to. They were attacking the Bible, um, and so in their mind, uh, we don't see people walking on water. We don't see people. We don't see a, a parting of a Red Sea. These are these are not natural events. Uh, we have no way of verifying them. They come out of an old book. 
we have to limit ourselves to what we can see and observe and uh, our, with our five senses. So it was an insistence on uh, just a material uh, approach to life. And of course, that, that um, idea, that, that worldview is not the result of any kind of scientific research. It's a religious philosophical point of view that it, it originates in the mind of the person. There, there's nothing in your everyday experience that tells you that everything must be explained by time and chance and the laws of nature. In fact, you can't scientifically explain love. You can't uh, scientifically prove that something is beautiful. Um, these are non-scientific, non-material things. And uh, so the, the whole view is seriously flawed, but on the surface, it sounds reasonable that, you know, we, we live in a physical world and we, we explain everything else this way. And so miracles are impossible. So then like when we're thinking about like the origins of like what's going on here, it's starting with like the denial of miracles and kind of like uh, attacking like the, the, like the authority of scripture. So when we're thinking about the origin of this view of the enlightenment, it's starting there. So it's not starting with like, uh, like, Oh, like here we have the fossil record or like, Oh, we have this like, um, like biological, like, or like data, like stuff like that. Is that what you're saying here, Terry? Yeah, exactly. So the, the philosophical worldview gained uh, influence in Western Europe um, before there was any serious study of the rocks of the earth before Charles Darwin, although Charles Darwin's grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, was a naturalist, um, and he had an evolutionary theory for the origin of living things. And Darwin actually got a lot of his ideas from his grandfather and from others. So these ideas were, were in the mix. Um, because once you deny that there's a God, then you, you inevitably are going to have to ask the question, well, where did this world come from? How did we get here? And you either conclude that the world has always been here, it's eternal, or it had a beginning, but if you've ruled out God, then you've got to come up with some kind of naturalistic, so-called scientific explanation for how things came into existence so like during this time period where was the church at it's like before we get into like uh like the fossil record or whatnot like when these things start to come up like in this time where there's a lot of like philosophy happening here with like denying miracles the authority of the bible and whatnot um how was the church like was it interacting with these views was it just kind of ignoring it like where was the church during this time <clears throat> no the christians were responding to the deists and to the atheists, um, and the church was, up until the early 1800s, the dominant view in the church, uh, whether Catholic, Eastern, Orthodox, Protestant, was God created the world in six days, uh, about 6,000 years ago from our, from our time. Um, that was how they took Genesis, and so since Europe was and, and North America was dominated by a Christian worldview, um, you know, the, the Christian way of thinking dominated the, the cultures. Now, naturalism was making a greater impact on the continent of Europe than it was in England and North America. And <clears throat> from my studies, I I'm convinced that's because of the influence of the great evangelical awakenings in uh, Britain and North America through the work of uh, the Wesley brothers and George Whitfield and, and others. That kind of awakening didn't happen on the continent of Europe. And so um, the church was, was drifting away from scripture. Uh, liberal theological views were developing that were uh, questioning whether Moses wrote the uh, the Pentateuch, uh, 
are bringing arguments that Genesis 1 and 2 are contradictory creation accounts, that there were multiple authors who, who uh, produced uh, the book of Genesis, written over many, many centuries. So those were biblical and uh, biblical arguments, so-called. Uh, but they were driven by the same naturalistic worldview. Okay, yeah, that's helpful. So, and I think we're kind of like touching on this already, Terry. But like, so we look at like the philosophy side of this debate where people are starting to like deny miracles, um, deny the authority of scripture and whatnot, Terry. If we're thinking about like the scientific view of the world. So if we go like maybe like before this starts to happen, um, maybe it might be helpful if you could put a date on this. Like what was like the scientific consensus? Like before we have this like big enlightenment movement, um, what was the scientific consensus about things like the origin of the world and like evolution and whatnot? Yeah. Well, um, because uh, most people in Europe were not questioning the Bible's history in Genesis, that was just kind of taken as a given. Um, there's, there's not a lot of people writing about Genesis and the creation of the world because there's not a lot of opposition to what Genesis says. So the church only historically, the church responds uh, with new teaching, um, looking at things more in depth in a certain area as a result of uh, opposition from unbelievers. So, uh, you know, there was not a lot of literature defending the truth of Genesis prior to uh, the 19th century. There, there's a few, um, but that's because there wasn't a big opposition to that truth. When the opposition comes, then, then the church responds. Uh, you won't find lots of literature about homosexuality in the church in the 19th century because it wasn't an issue. Well, there's lots of literature today dealing with that. So um, that's what always happens. The church begins to respond to the attacks on the faith and... Um, so there was a response to naturalism, to the Enlightenment, but the response to the idea of millions of years didn't really get underway until uh, that idea began to really take hold in the early 19th century, late 18th, early 19th century. And that's when then we see uh, uh, a lot of literature being produced. Um, so we talked a lot about, like, in the this isn't on the script, but this is something that just came to mind as you were talking, Terry. It seems like a lot of like what we're referencing and talking to is like kind of like looking at um, like Western Europe and whatnot. What about like the rest of the world? Like we have seven continents. Obviously, there weren't people living in Antarctica at the time, I believe. Um, um, but like in the other six continents, like or the other five, like what were people thinking? About, like creations and origins and like whatnot at this time. Do you have any idea about that? Because it's just something that came to mind as we were talking. Yeah, well, uh, of course, um, a Buddhist view of the world, a Hindu view of the world is, is going to be very different. Uh, I don't even know if those religions have much of a uh, origins story. Um, they're, they're not focused on history like Christianity and Judaism uh, are because of our scriptures. So is the the Quran of the Muslim religion says some things about creation and it it mentions Adam and it mentions Noah and the flood and and those things but it doesn't it doesn't provide the kind of uh, history uh, that the Bible does so um, I don't think in in rest of the world there was much discussion about this it, whatever their religion, uh, taught them about where the world came from is what people believed, but they probably did not have um, a lot of literature being written on the subject. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you, Terry. So then I want to think a little bit now about like the scientific like lens of things. Um, how does this like it seems like 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 in this account of things, uh, this idea of like an 
naturalistic like evolutionary picture of the world is something that comes about um it's not something that just was like always like the consensus view do you want to talk a little bit about like first off like how did naturalism like just begin to rise like um who are some of the key people the key i like the, that are kind of pushing this because if you look at like scientific consensus today it'd be maybe not like a purely like materialistic way of things but there'd be a lot of agreement with like a naturalistic view i i believe at least so what's the okay. story here of how of the rise of it well let me let me read to you a couple of statements that captures this very clearly um they're by james hutton who wrote at the end of the 19th century excuse me, 18th century, he died in 1795, but many geologists today would consider him the father of modern geology. And he was in Scotland. And uh, <clears throat> by the way, at this time, there were no professional geologists. There were no geology degrees at the university. The people who were studying the rocks and the fossils in the 18th and 19th century uh, were independently wealthy enough that they could go around uh, tracing rock layers and looking for fossils. And, um, but they, they weren't professional and they didn't have academic degrees to, to uh, establish that they were more knowledgeable. So um, James Hutton said this, the past history of our globe must be explained by what can be seen to be happening now. No powers are to be employed that are not natural to the globe. No action to be admitted except those of which we know the principle. So he's insisting on present natural processes must be uh, what we use to explain the geology of the earth. If we can't see it happening today, uh, if it's not a natural process, we have to exclude that from our thinking. We're limited to present natural processes. Well, uh, what is he excluded by that statement? And by the way, um, he didn't do any laboratory scientific laboratory ex experiments to establish that principle. It was purely uh, invention of his own mind. It was a naturalistic uh, statement. So what is he ruled out by insisting on present natural processes? Well, he's ruled out creation because creation wasn't happening when he wrote those sentences. And creation wasn't natural, it was supernatural, according to the Bible. Uh, he's also ruled out Noah's flood. Noah's flood wasn't happening when he wrote those sentences, and Noah's flood was not uh, simply a natural event. I mean, it was natural in the sense that water flows downhill uh, in Noah's flood, just like it does today, and moving water eroded and carried sediments just like water does today. But the flood was not uh, just a natural event. It was not just, well, this is one of the things that happens every so often. Um, so he's insisting on explaining the rock layers and the fossils by present natural processes alone. That's naturalism. Um, in another place, he said, uh, said this, surely general deluges, that was an old way of talking about global floods, form no part of the theory of the earth for the purpose of this earth is evidently to maintain vegetable and animal life and not to destroy them. So what's he doing there? He's reasoning, okay, look at the world that we live in today. It's obviously designed to support plant and animal life. So we can't allow a global flood in our past because that would destroy all the plant and animal life. Well, what's he doing? He's, he's insisting that the present is the key to the past. So I just have to study what's going on in the present and I can reconstruct the past history of the earth. That is a naturalistic worldview in operation. And it, it, it has excluded the Bible and uh, the history that's recorded in Genesis, um, it's, it's excluded from consideration. In fact, Charles Lyell, who was born the year that Hutton died and built on Hutton's ideas, um, said that he wanted to free the science of geology from Moses. So what's going on here? What has he got against Moses? He wants to silence 
uh, God's eyewitness testimony in the scriptures uh, and, and say, the Bible is irrelevant to the study of geology. Uh, uh, but the problem is the Bible talks about two geologically significant global events. So you have uh, the creation of the world, you have the creation of dry land on day three uh, with, with a global ocean the first two days. When that water leaves, if that was caused by God uh, supernaturally raising some of the crust of the earth above sea level, then you're going to have a lot of erosion, sedimentation, uh, but there isn't going to be any fossils in those sediments because God hadn't created plants or animals or people yet. And then Noah's flood was designed to destroy everything on the land, not in the ark. And uh, it would have it produced all kinds of erosion and sedimentation. And the Bible describes it as a global flood. So you would have global evidence of this event. And so when he says he wants to free the science of geology from Moses, that is naturalism at work. Um, he didn't do any scientific experiments to lead him to the idea. Uh, it, it was a religious and philosophical worldview at work. So then as we look at like the rise of like this kind of view, Terry, like what is, how is the church interacting like in this like scientific debate? Like, are they giving like scientific arguments? Is it more of like a, Hey, we have this like theology of like a young earth. Like how is the church interacting with this as naturalism begins to rise? Well, that was what my PhD research was focused on. What was the church doing when these old earth ideas were developing? And so I discovered 30 authors in uh, Great Britain writing between about 1820 and 1850. They collectively became known as the scriptural geologists. Um, two of the authors entitled their books, uh, Scriptural Geology. And I, I found uh, some of these authors wrote short pamphlets of, you know, maybe 30 pages. Some of them wrote two volume, 700 page books. And they were raising biblical, uh, geological, and philosophical arguments against these old earth ideas. Uh, and what I showed was, uh, of these 30 um, that I discovered, I'm sure there were more, but um, many of them were very, uh, and I demonstrated this in my thesis, which is uh, published as The Great Turning Point, um, I showed that many of them were geologically competent by the standards of their day. Now, again, none of them had a geological degree, but nobody studying geology had a geological degree at this time. But these men went out and they looked at rock layers carefully. They looked at uh, fossils carefully. They read the literature of other people who were looking at rock layers and fossils. So um, I, I showed that they were very competent by the standards of their day. And they were, they were resisting these ideas. And so we're thinking about what's happening here, Terry. Um, so there's some Christians pushing back. Um, was there like maybe like people who were like naturalists or like atheists at the time who pushed back? Like maybe people who thought that like um, their arguments that like naturalists were bringing forward uh, weren't any good. And they were like, hey, like um, like this naturalism stuff. Like, and I'm thinking of people that maybe that weren't Christians here specifically that were just kind of pushing back against these arguments as well. Or was it just Christians who were kind of pushing back against naturalism? Well, I'm not aware of any any non-Christians who were pushing back against the idea of an old earth. But I did document that there were people uh, raising objections about some of the points, like, for example, one of the uh, keys to developing the old earth geological theory was using shell creatures like clams or trilobites or, or uh those kinds of things, um, using shell creatures to identify rock layers and put them in a historical order and determine whether the, uh, this rock layer was deposited in the ocean or this rock layer was deposited in fresh water. 
And so uh, there were people that were experts on these shell creatures who raised, uh, raised concerns that the geologists were using these shell creatures uh, to determine these things about uh, the nature of the rocks, whether they were in a, a marine environment or formed on in a, a freshwater. And they were saying, you can't use these shell creatures to do this because the, the creatures that make these shells, they can change their shells based on uh, changes in the salinity of the water, the temperature of the water, the surface to which they attach themselves. And so um, there, were, there were people who were raising uh, objections to some of the lines of reasoning in the older thinking, but it was only, as far as I can tell, it was only Christians who were concerned about the truth of Scripture who were uh, raising objections to the old earth idea. But yeah, let, me hasten, oh, let me hasten to say, um, in that same period of the first half of the 19th century, um, most of the church quickly began to accept the millions of years. And so by 1850, uh, virtually the whole church uh, had accepted the millions of years. The commentaries uh, on Genesis had abandoned the global flood, had abandoned the biblical chronology. So all of that happened before Darwin published his theory. That's what I was going to ask you about, Terry, is like, so you just mentioned that a lot of the church seems to go along with this idea um, of there being an old earth. And like, obviously this is a very contentious issue today. Cause you look at today, there's all kinds of different views about um, how God created the world and like whatnot. So how does like, like what's the story of like Christians here? So when we're thinking about like these different views of the world um, and Christians who espouse like an old earth and some who would espouse like evolutionary theory. And I'm, I feel like I'm caught in the middle a lot of times about what to believe. Uh, what's the story of this? Like, how is this all coming about? Yeah. Well, um, some Christians in the early 19th century, they they quickly assumed, well, these geologists have proven the rocks are, are millions of years old. Uh, the flood could not possibly have been global. And so they began to uh, propose the, what became known as the gap theory, that the days of Genesis are literal, but they don't begin until verse 3. And so there's a gap of time uh, for, between verse 1 and verse 3 of Genesis 1, where we can, we can just put all of the millions of years the geologists are talking about. Um, another view what, that developed and became popular was became known as the day-age view. And that is that the days are not literal days. They're figurative of long periods of time. And so we can just spread out those geological ages over those non-literal days of Genesis 1. And, and then there's no conflict with what the geologists are saying. And, of course, the, they had to reinterpret the flood. Um, one really strange idea was uh, published uh, by a, uh, a Presbyterian minister in 1826, in which he argued that Noah's flood was a global flood, but it was so peaceful, it left no geological evidence. Uh, I don't know anybody that holds that view today, because all floods erode, all floods carry sediments and deposit them someplace else. So a more popular view was that the flood was a local flood, uh, in the Mesopotamian Valley of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and it's just described in exaggerated language in the Bible. So those became uh, very popular approaches of Christians who wanted to accept the millions of years. So then when we're thinking about this idea of like millions of years, is this something that for Christians is only coming about like with the enlightenment and whatnot, like were there people like uh, before the enlightenment and everything going on that would espouse like a millions of years? Like, for example, um, I, I've always been not, I haven't always been told, but I've heard like, even like, Oh, Augustine was a great example of someone who wouldn't have been like a young earth creationist. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, no, the young earth view was virtually the universal belief up until the 19th century. That's historically documented, in fact, I just uh, 
I was an examiner for a PhD thesis of a student in South Africa, uh, just um, researching that whole historical development related to Genesis 1 to 11. But um, a lot of times people who are trying to find historical support for their acceptance of millions of years do not read very carefully. And they will read in, in the writings of some of the church fathers who um, equated the days of Genesis with uh, a, th a thousand year periods, but they didn't believe the days were thousands of years. They believed the days were literal, but they were typological. They were pointing prophetically to the, the, uh, the future of the world and that the world would uh, only last for 6,000 years and then there would be a thousand year reign of Christ. So they were, they were taking, for example, Second Peter 3, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day to the Lord. And so they were taking the days as literal in Genesis, but saying those days were also typological, pointing to the unfolding of history. And so they were not old earth creationists. Augustine has often been called an old earth creationist, but I studied his writings carefully. He wrote on Genesis in a number of his books, uh, several uh, interpretations of Genesis. He, he tried several times to interpret Genesis. Each time he got more literal, but um, he didn't know Hebrew and he didn't know Greek well enough until after he had written everything that he wrote on Genesis, and he was dependent on the Latin, the old Latin Bible, and uh, that had a faulty translation in Genesis 2-4, which led him to think that God created everything in an instant. And so he's trying to figure out what are the six days if God made everything in an instant, and he was clearly uh, struggling with that. But in his writings, he clearly believed that Adam was less than 6,000 years before him. He clearly believed that the flood was global. He clearly believed that the patriarchs lived to an average of 900 years before the flood. So he was taking the text uh, quite literally. He was just confused about the days uh, of Genesis 1 because of that faulty Latin translation, but he was not a, an old earth creationist. Okay, that's helpful. Um, Terry, one thing I want to bring up here is like, what are you like, what are your thoughts on people who are kind of caught up in like this debate today? Um, it's like, obviously, like this idea of like the questions of naturalism and creation, it doesn't seem like it's going to go away anytime soon. Um, obviously, it seems like the consensus is towards like a naturalistic view with some sort of evolutionary story behind it. Um, and what would you say, like, like, how is this dialogue? Like, how can we progress this dialogue? Because I think like, for example, what I'm thinking about is someone like even like myself who has kind of grown up in this world where I'm like, okay, well, I've kind of just even grown up as a Christian. I kind of just assumed that the earth is old. Um, evolution, I don't know. Um, but like, it seems like the, it's just hard for people when you have these assumptions you, that you've grown up with your whole life to kind of think about it. Um, yeah. What advice do you have for people that want to like think about this issue? Because I find myself, I'm like, wow, there's a lot that I don't know. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing every Christian has to decide is what is their final authority for determining truth? If you believe the Bible is the inspired, uh, inerrant word of God, uh, who was there at the beginning, who was there all the way through history, who knows everything, who always tells the truth and never lies, uh, then you're going to start with his word and say, what does it teach? And you're going to apply good um, Bible study methods, you study verses in context, you compare scripture with scripture um, to determine what what is it teaching. And I would argue uh, strongly that Genesis 1 to 11 is history. It's not poetry. It's not a parable. It's not a prophetic vision uh, like other parts of scripture are. It's historical narrative. And Jesus and the apostles took those chapters as literal history and so we should too, and then uh, pay attention to the details just like we would if we were reading the Gospels or studying the account of the crucifixion and, and resurrection of Jesus. We pay attention to the details. 
and so on the basis of that, uh, Genesis 1 to 11 is, is clearly teaching uh, creation in six literal days a few thousand years ago and a global flood um, at the time of, of Noah and many other things. So the Christian first needs to decide, what, what is my final authority? Is it going to be the inerrant word of God Almighty, or is it going to be the consensus uh, majority view among scientists who are controlled by a naturalistic and therefore anti-biblical worldview? Um, second, um, once we, we think about that, then we should say, okay, let, let me read some, let me do some reading by people who really do understand the science and who understand the worldview conflict to see if, if they can help me and if I am persuaded by what they write as they expose the naturalistic assumptions that are driving the interpretation. So what did Darwin do? Well, Darwin simply took the old earth idea and applied it to biology. He, he said, slow, gradual processes uh, explain the origin of the geology of the earth. Slow, gradual, presently observed processes can explain the origin of the biology of the earth. In fact, uh, listen to this statement by Charles Darwin. He wrote it in 1844. This was after he had gone on his five-year voyage around the world uh, by the way, when he got on the boat, the HMS Beagle in England in 1831 to start that journey, he took a copy of Charles Lyell's book, Principles of Geology, with him on the, on the boat. And he thoroughly absorbed Lyell's thinking. And he said this in 1844, I always feel as if my books came half out of Lyell's brains and that I never acknowledge this sufficiently, nor do I know how I can without saying so in so many words. For I have always thought that the great merit of Lyle's principles of geology was that it altered the whole tone of one's mind, and therefore that when seeing a thing never seen by Lyle, one yet saw it partially through his eyes. So Darwin was just applying Lyle's thinking about slow, gradual processes to biology. And Darwin's theory, he never saw any kind of creature change into another kind of creature. He saw finches having different sized beaks, but he never saw a finch change into something that was not a finch. Um, all he observed was variation within a created kind. And over the last 150 years, that's all the evolutionists have ever shown the world is variation within a kind. And there are plenty of scientists who have PhDs from secular universities because there's, there's no place to get a PhD uh, from, from a young earth creationist perspective. There's no universities like that anywhere in the world. So... All the creation scientists who have PhDs studied under evolutionists. And they, they could see the naturalistic assumptions that were driving the interpretations. So somebody who's really struggling to know, well, you know, what do I think about this? They need to read the Bible first and believe what the Bible says, do their Bible study, and then they should read uh, what creation scientists are saying in pointing out the, the wrong assumptions and with biblical glasses, we like to say, biblical lenses uh, looking at the evidence. So uh, I've helped to lead for 15 years um, a raft trip down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon, and we invited theologians to come on that trip and we invited men who were old earth theologians, some who were young earth, some who were sitting on the fence. They didn't really know what they 
thought about the age of the earth. And we had two geologists on the trip, an Old Testament scholar and myself, and we we uh, taught about the creationist view and pointed them to the evidence that creation geologists see in the rocks in the Grand Canyon that point to a global flood. Now, they see the same rocks that the evolutionists do, but they're starting with a biblical worldview rather than a naturalistic worldview. And when they, when they do, they see lots of things that the evolutionists are overlooking or misinterpreting. So uh, I would encourage anyone who's, who's just you know, really struggling to know what to think about this, start with the Bible. If, you, if you're a Christian, do you really believe it's God's word? And if it is, then God's word has to be the final authority over the words of scientists who don't know everything, who weren't there at the beginning, who make mistakes, which is why they rewrite their textbooks every few years, and who are controlled by a naturalistic worldview. I do agree that for it's very important for Christians to start with the authority of Scripture, um, and it has to be the ultimate authority. And like when we're thinking about like these questions, um, and you can apply this to like the scientific questions or philosophy, theology, anything. Like for a Christian, like Scripture has to be like the final answer. Um, and maybe Scripture isn't clear about everything, but we cannot accept views that go against the clear teaching of Scripture. And that's something super important. Um, so I love you brought that up, Terry. Uh, any last thoughts or things you want to say before we start to wrap up here? Well, I would just say uh, maybe what I said the last time we were together is it really matters what you believe about origins uh, because it really matters what you believe about Genesis. If, if the Bible didn't have those first 11 chapters, if it just had a couple of sentences that said, uh, God created the world uh, a long time ago, and then there was a man named Abraham. If that's the way the Bible started, then... The, the door would be wide open to think whatever we want to about the creation of the world, as long as you believe that God created. But those 11 chapters are there with a lot of detail. And the, the, the apostles and Jesus referred to those chapters many times, and they built their teaching about marriage, about morality, uh, about the gospel on the truth of those chapters. And, uh, what we've seen happen over the last 200 years as most of the church has accepted the millions of years and increasingly is accepting evolution and even human evolution, what we've seen is the once Christian West, uh, Western Europe, North America, has become uh, pagan, uh, anti-Christian, uh, and we have descended into moral anarchy with the LGBTQ, the, the abortion issue, euthanasia, and now coming out of the LGBTQ, uh, there's going to be pedophilia uh, and all kinds of evil. And it's because the authority of the Bible has been undermined in the culture and in the church. And if you don't believe Genesis, you, you, don't, you, you cannot argue against uh, transgenderism or pedophilia or abortion or any of these things because evolution, millions of years, everything's the result of time and chance and the laws of nature. Evolutionists are even arguing that there are, there are some, well, there's some transgender insects. There's some homosexual animals. I think that's false, but they're using those kinds of arguments to justify these things that the Bible uh, condemns. And if we are all the result of time and chance and the laws of nature, then there's no purpose or meaning to life. We're just all the result of a long series of accidents. So what we believe about the first 11 chapters of Genesis is, is foundational to everything else. And since Jesus and the apostles um, tied the gospel to the truth of Genesis. If we don't believe Genesis, we're undermining the gospel and the hope of the gospel. You know, think about this. If, if God really created over millions of years of 
animal death and disease and extinction and exploding stars and asteroids slamming into the earth, if all of that is really true, then the fall in Genesis 3 didn't have any impact on the creation. And if that's true, then Jesus is coming again to create a new heavens and a new earth to fix a creation that he did a lousy job of making in the beginning, not to liberate the creation from the curse that he uh, righteously put on the creation as a result of Adam's sin. So it's, it's really, really foundational what we believe about Genesis. And I would encourage anybody that's listening to this to get your Bible if you're a Christian and really look carefully at Genesis 1 to 11 and then go to uh, Answers in Genesis website. We've got a great search engine, over 10,000 articles. Uh, you can read whole books on our website. You can download free. Um, there's a lot of resources. Use your critical thinking skills. Think carefully. Uh, and believe God's word. Well, thank you for coming on today, Terry. How can people like follow you, connect with you, things like that? Well, I'm, I'm just, um, I guess maybe I'm too old. I've never gotten into blogging. Uh, I, I tried it a little bit, but I just have too many other things to do and I'm not on Twitter. But Answers in Genesis is a great resource I've got a lot of articles there that uh, would be helpful, but there are uh, tremendous resources. We also have Answers TV, which is a streaming service. We have over 6,000 videos, uh, and there are lectures, nature programs, documentaries, children's programs, all kinds of resources there. So read, look at the videos. Um, that's that's the way to... Uh, really think your way to the truth in this area. Well, Terry, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you. And I'm glad you reached out again because you really pushed me. Um, Cause I mean, I come from the past few years from a place that as a Christian, that is probably not, or it isn't a younger like kind of view. And you've really helped push me and challenge me to help me think about these issues, revisit things and think about things I never even thought about before. Uh, so I really appreciate your time. And I really hope it's the same for people listening um, that you are pushed and stretched and challenged by Terry. Um, and I encourage everyone just to kind of search this out. Like uh, if you're a Christian, start with the scripture and like go from there. Um, and yeah, that's that. Terry, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, I'll leave some links down below where people can follow and connect with Answers in Genesis and whatnot. Uh, and to everyone listening, this is here on Apologetics. If you're new, I encourage you to leave a like, subscribe, all that stuff. Uh, and if you value what you do, you can support the show at patreon.com slash here in Apologetics. Terry, one last time, thank you so much for coming on. Been a pleasure. All right. Great to be with you. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good one. And God bless. We'll catch you later.